let's be honest with ourselves. Are we gonna we're we gonna stick to our schedule? Or are we gonna keep sliding? What's our schedule? We've been doing every other week episodes. In fact, I think when was the last episode? Was that two weeks ago, or is that at least one week ago? It was just two weeks ago. I think yeah, we've we've done for the past two or three shows. We've been done every other week. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think we have. We don't have a. It's not like we have subscribers that pay or advertisers that have paid no, for slots. No, but it was one of our resolutions last year to be to be consistent and do a weekly show. Yeah, that's true. Was that before I knew I was going to be moving? That's true. Actually, the big thing is not moving. It's just been work. I've been so busy with work. Well, work and illness. Are we recording? Is this the show? Yeah, why not? Okay. Um, yeah, speaking of work, um, we are growing still, and so I am hiring. I say I. My company is hiring. And we're hiring like everything from engagement directors and project managers and like and, and, and people with Salesforce skills, so like solution architects and just uh, if you're a sales cloud expert or service cloud or, um, you know, a uh, technical, you know, like a, a developer or a technical architect, I guess. I mean, just mm-hmm. all those types of roles we're pretty much continuously hiring for. So That's if, good. Uh, yeah, John, so... You know, you need to be sending some candidates my me. way. I know you want to hire but me. But you haven't so. applied. Plus, already, you already have a good job. I can't, I can't pay you what you're worth. It's my problem. <laughs> no. I mean... <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> no. Well, I mean... I'm just too expensive? <laughs> I don't know. Not necessarily. Are you overpriced, John? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> uh, yes, I am, actually. <laughs> I honestly think. Well, I you said it, not me. <laughs> no, in this world, there's high demand, and you can pretty well, much yeah. get what you want for the most part. I mean, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> then they'd write a song about that. You can't always get what you want. Oh, that was a uh, Jack. Uh, that wasn't that Rolling Stones. No, who was that? No. Oh. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I, I'm thinking of the uh, that kid show with the weird creatures and the DJ looking guy. Oh, what was that show called? I don't know. You can't always get what you want. No, 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 no. I don't know. Something like that. Mm. Someone will know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Anyways, we better talk about Salesforce before we get dinged. For yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, this Salesforce, yeah, podcast, Salesforce, 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 <clears throat> Ohana. No, you can't do that. Oh, what the hell is this? Oh, what I get? <laughs> what you? What I just put in my mouth? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I forgot what it was. Oh, is Does that have a number? Twelve. Is that the blush? Does that say blushing monk? Oh, blushing monk. Yeah, yeah. that's a good. Beer. It made me blush for sure. Yeah, I like that beer. It was sweeter than I thought it would be. Mm. Expecting more tart. Well, oh, we should probably talk about where we're at. I mean, we're n- <clears throat> we're not in the studio. We're out and about. We are at the local uh, growler bar, Our beer bar spot. Yep, Thirsty Growler in what, what town is this, technically? Colony, I think. Colony? I think. Okay. I'm not sure. It yeah. depends on what side of the freeway you're I on. I think so. so. I think the other side's Plano. Um, okay. Well, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of news, a lot of, but it's not really news. It's just kind of like a lot of rumors and speculations and things about things going on. and. Like what? Give me an example. You know, weird pictures of Benioff. With that face again. What? I didn't see where, his. Where he looks like he's... Oh, he the creepy have, face? He might have let one go and... <laughs> is that what that is? someone to notice. <laughs> he's got, got that evil grin. <laughs> yeah. You know. 
I think the evil grin thing just comes from, from the fact that he's a multi-billionaire from a company that doesn't make any money or pay much tax. I mean, that would you put sound a, so cynical that would, when you no, say it. Like that would that. Be a, put an evil grin on anyone's face, wouldn't it? You sound so cynical when you say it like that. No, well, like you're jealous. Let, let me know if any of my facts are incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. No, we had some some uh, layoff stuff. Oh but yeah, no, that was weird because it's only being reported in one on one site. I tried to scour. Did anything report it? I no. mean, did any news? No. Yeah, because I talk, I scoured everywhere yeah, I, I could. I talked to a couple of journalists um, recently and. Both of them had heard about it, but couldn't file any stories because there's only anonymous sources, I mm. guess. I mean, then no one can confirm it. And I don't know if they called into Salesforce to try to confirm or not, but yeah. So what, what was the, I mean, I, to me it seems more than rumor because it does seem like legitimate people, just, you know, lots of, lots of reports from lots of people who work at Salesforce, um, apparently all in the customer uh, success uh, mm. department. Yeah. So it's all <clears throat> customer success people, but... I've heard all kinds of numbers, everything from 100 to 500 people. Yeah, and I guess that's why I was looking for more information because I wasn't sure the scope of it. I mean, layoffs happen as a company tries to kind of right-size, especially when they acquisition heavy and they end up with a lot of people in different, and with overlapping roles. And as they try to consolidate that and make, make sense of it, you know, the layoffs happen. Yeah, except it, you know, laying off customer success people doesn't seem like those type of overla- overlapping things. I mean, maybe maybe they are. I don't know. It's not like it's accounting people or payroll people, you know, where you do have just operational overlap. Yeah. Well, it's also one of the areas that is a bit sensitive to a lot of us who rely on, well, attempt to rely on Salesforce support, and now we don't always get the type of support we would like. And then to hear that the group has has been downsized a bit kind of doesn't. And even in this report, which I'm just going to say it's rumored because I don't, it's only one site and I don't know how true it is, but even they were, they were even saying that for clients that they were currently assisting, they just dropped off Yeah, because those people were gone. There was no kind of transition or anything like that. It just it was shut down. And then there's a the whole discussion of, I mean, do we really need these customer success people anyway? Is this a big deal? Because like, it seems, I would say like 95% of people that I've talked to about customer success, I mean... I don't think anyone really gets that much out of it. We now, probably dif- differentiate the support plan from the sure. Uh, yeah, oh, free beer. What is this? It's a it's like our oh yeah. Nice. Oh nice, thanks man. Is that a play on two hearted? Hoof hearted. Uh, no, that's a different beer. That's a different. That's <laughs> they're in uh, where are they? Columbus, I think. Hoof hearted. I just wanted a reason to say hoof hearted. Yeah. <laughs> oh nice. Well, you got to give it the plug now. Look at this. Yeah, we do. So this is from Bell's. Light-hearted ale. So it's, it is a play on um, Two-Hearted. You, you ever had Two-Hearted? I'm sure, sure I have. have. So this is the um, this low-calorie, hazy IPA. So you've got Sierra Nevada's, um, what's it called? Hazy Little Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscar Blues has the, the One-E. Um, O-N-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dogfish Head has, what is it, Slightly Mighty. So there's, all, there's this new category that kind of came out of nowhere. I think founders might have created it. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, usually they're 100, 100 calories or under and right around 4% and yeah. it's a hazy IPA. It's about what it is, about half the normal. Mm-hmm. Probably about half. That's pretty good. I mean, it's 4%, so you know, don't expect a No, it a, smelled a great. I mean, it had a, lot of, had, a lot of, had a lot on the nose. It tastes great. 
It's never a bad day when uh, the beer rep brings you a free beer at your yeah at your table while you're recording a podcast. <laughs> uh, what was I saying though? Oh yeah, just the the effectiveness of the customer success thing, and I don't know. I've, and I think I was pausing to because I I think support and customer success are two different things in the sales yes, world. Yes, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 departments that you're as a customer you're typically going to interact with would be customer success. Which account executive? Yeah, your account executive. So sales, right? Right. And then support, right? And then is premier success? Is that considered part of? Is are they in the CSG? I would think so. Okay, it's kind of a value add, isn't it? I also hear mixed about that too. I just I think a lot of it is still outsourced to partners. I think customer uh, no premier success. No, premier success, isn't it? I didn't think so. Or what was that support plan where you you basically can say, hey, I, I get I got to load in a bunch of users that needs to be done manually. And Salesforce will do it for you if you have like a certain plan or something. I, I mean, I, yeah, Premier Success I think will do will do stuff for That's you. What I thought it was like I, for all the manual tedious stuff, you can just say I need this done and they'll yeah. do it. I think Premier Success might do some of that. I mean, I think it's I don't think they I don't think they do any kind of coding or no no not coding. And I don't even know if they would do data loading, but I thought they did. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I generally don't work with with them, so I don't know. But yeah, and I mean. Also, you know, this kind of stuff. I mean, so this sounds like, I mean, for, for Salesforce, considering that they've just, there's always in growth mode, I mean, they don't, they've, they've never had like a, a big layoff that I can remember. <clears throat> you know, they're usually limited in scope, pretty small. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what this was. But, but already, I, I saw this on Twitter, and uh, it was someone replying actually to Tony Profit. Um, what was the. What was she, what was this person replying oh, I to? I saw that. So, maybe yeah, so that maybe I did. So, so Tony's like, he's like, hey, what a better way to spend the Lily Ledbetter equal pay anniversary than with the heroes of equal pay. And then um, someone replied and said, I'm shocked that you would post this. And yet Salesforce just let, let a ton of 40 plus year old women dedicated to your success. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> you live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can't always win, I guess. <laughs> Oh, and, then, and there's a lot of the talk of it. I, and I'll say this too: I'll be careful about the Ohana thing and the family thing. This is this is not a family. This is a, this is a business, and it's going to hit a lot of people right in the face one of these days. Um, and I'm not saying you know don't uh, you know make friends and relationships and, and help people out and and give your time and and the things you feel. I mean, yeah, do all that. Mm-hmm. But don't forget that your employer, whoever they are, whether it's Salesforce or any other company or organization, they're in a business. And there's, there's, there's only one guarantee you'll ever about a job, which is one day you won't have it anymore for some reason or another. <laughs> yeah, but I thought capitalism as we knew it was dead. Well, yeah, I would say so. I mean, if you can create a bunch of billionaire and millionaires from a company that doesn't pay any tax and doesn't make any money, then maybe, oh, so maybe capitalism is dead. This is, this is the new capitalism, yeah, John. I get it. This is the new capitalism. From that perspective, I can see it. I mean, you have major co- companies who have went, who have gone years without making a profit. We'll use Amazon as an example. Um, now I think they're turning a pretty penny left, left and right. But well, it, it depends on what they're doing. There are certain areas that are failing. Uh, Amaz- Twitch isn't doing so too Amazon, well apparently right now. Which I mean, you is mentioned fortunate. I don't know much about Twitch, but you mentioned Amazon, and you I can't let that go without mentioning that they uh, was it last week released their latest results. And they beat on revenue came in right in line. They beat on earnings by fifty percent. So wow. expected earnings per share was like 
I don't know, it was supposed to be like uh, $4, and they came in at like, I think, six, $6 per share. So, yeah, they're... Now, I still think, if I, did, I didn't dig into their numbers, but I'm guessing that a lot of the profit comes from AWS. AWS is really profitable, which goes to show you that you can create a modern tech company that provides services that is profitable. It can be done. <laughs> and it's very transactional business, while, too. While at the same time having a very high growth rate, higher than Salesforce is still. AWS is bigger than Salesforce, and the growth rate is higher than Salesforce. Which leads to the next topic of more rounds of buyout rumors. We had the Google acquisition rumor, and then we have an article published recently, I think, today, that said uh, if Salesforce ever does put itself up for sales, it would be Microsoft would be the buyer. I mean, it's whoever offers the most money is who's the buyer. <laughs> well, who would, who, would it, who would benefit from the most, I think, is, is the, the exercise of the day. Is you know, I think Google would benefit hugely because the, the story that people always tell you is that Google, their biggest challenge is they don't have that because they avoided like typical enterprise sales having a big sales department for so long so they just don't have the connections the contracts the, the and, and the sales force right the, the sales space force out there with enterprise accounts that their competitors do including salesforce salesforce has i mean the, the salesforce is basically a selling company that's all they do is sell and um they, they could, they would, they would bring that to Google. It does seem more of a fit for Google. Microsoft um, already has. Microsoft's got more contacts and contracts with companies than anyone else. So, from a Microsoft buying Salesforce perspective, that would be complete redundancy. I think so too. But I also think that it seems more of a fit for Google, just just in the fact that most of their money is made by advertising and given getting a platform that, that they don't have today, which is that CRM platform, marketing platform, all those kind of things. With as creepy as those things tend to be, um, just seems like a, like a good fit for them. Yeah, maybe so. <clears throat> Question is, if they did, well, I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's all speculation, but I mean, would it be a good thing for Salesforce? I mean, that's a good question. It, um, it, and, and again, you can talk about stakeholders all you want, but this is when it really comes down to shareholders. Because shareholders are the only ones that get to vote on this. Well, sure, but... It, uh, you you understand what I'm for, saying? It's for the platform like, Customers don't get to vote on this. Employees don't get to vote on this. It's... It, it, unless, it, it, otherwise, except for, to the extent that they're a shareholder. Yeah, and I'm not the board and the shareholders get to, would get to vote on something like that. Yeah, and my, so the question is... I know, I'm, I'm, getting back to your, okay. I'm getting back to your question which is, would this be good for Salesforce? And, the, and really, what you're asking is, would this be good for Salesforce shareholders? And if it is, meaning, and, and I don't know whether they'd be, because they, in any acquisition like this, they're going to overpay. They have to pay for more than what the stock is already worth. So right now, the stock's trading at, it's been close to 190. Microsoft or anyone would have to come in and offer a premium on that, 220, 250, something like that per share. And then the shareholders have to decide, okay, is it better for us to take that, let's assume it's a cash purchase, if so, take that cash. Is that, is that a better deal than hanging onto your Salesforce stock and hoping that it will, in a reasonable amount of time, be at that level or higher? Okay? Mm -hmm. That's if it's cash. But it might be a lot of stock, a lot of Microsoft stock. And so then you have to, I mean, if, you're, if, if they're giving you, you know, $250 
worth of Microsoft stock for every hundred nine hundred. Yeah, yeah. Buyout? Let's just say either one. Okay. But you're getting you're getting a higher value of if they're going to pay you in stock, whether it's Google stock or Microsoft stock, you're getting a higher value of Google or Microsoft stock than the Salesforce stock that you own. And then you have to decide: is it is that worth it? it? Because when you end up when you get that Google or Microsoft stock, you can either hang on to it; it's it's already worth more than what the Salesforce stock was because they overpaid and they paid mm-hmm. a premium. Or you can just you can sell it if you just want the cash. If you're like, well, I don't really believe in Google's future, or I don't really believe in Microsoft's future, so I'm just going to sell it and get my cash for it. But either way, yeah, if, if it's enough of a premium that you think it's better than the whole time value of money, uh, future cash flows, you know, if you want to do all those formulas, then it's a good deal. And, and especially if you're iffy on whether there's more and more writing from the from the financial press coming out about a Salesforce. Salesforce Salesforce's stock price issue, their stock valuation issue. All, what I've been talking about for about the past five years, it's mm-hmm. it's they're starting. To, there's more and more noise around that. Yeah, is Salesforce that. going to be able to justify what their stock is worth? Right. And so a lot of I think investors are. I mean, it's there's still tons of investors that are so totally on board with Salesforce. You know, they just think that this is Salesforce has built this giant moat. It's sticky as hell. It's the Roach Motel of enterprise computing, and there's nowhere to go but up. And if that's the case, then you, you want to hang on to your Salesforce stock, and you think that they will grow into that stock price, and stock prices are just going to keep going up. But there's the other school of thought, which is this thing is way overvalued. They're, they've already projected their growth to be slowing, and if they don't keep acquiring, can they, can they even come close to what even their lower predictions for growth? And, and, if, and if that becomes a problem, then their stock price is going to tank, right? In which, in which case, you're like, hell yeah, I'll take some Google stock right now for my for my Salesforce stock. Yeah. Well, my question was a little more selfish in okay. terms of the platform itself. Do you think Google taking ownership of the platform itself, do you think that would make any changes that would, you know, would, would you get your namespaces out of it type situation? Or do you think it would just kind of freeze in time Not really. the way it is with some minor enhancements here and there? Uh, neither. Can I pick somewhere in between? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'd be somewhere in between. I mean, I, I think for, again, these these two companies are are so big at this point that any actual integration of the engineering and operations of the company would be extremely gradual. So I think for if at all. I think for like a, a probably like a one to three year period of time, you see very little change in how the company actually operates. I think you'd see. Where they would really start to uh, combine forces would be would be in sales and marketing. <clears throat> yeah, and in the fact that you know, hey, if you sign up with Google Salesforce, um, you know, it, you can get bundled stuff. You know, buy some GCP, buy some Salesforce, buy some marketing cloud. You know, it's like more. It's just more stuff that a salesperson can sell into their account. So you're gonna see a lot of more, you know, j- com- combined sales and marketing. Right. I mean, operations would. In terms of like tech, you know engineering operations would stay relatively independent. I mean, over a long period of time, you might see efforts to migrate Salesforce to like GCP and whatever whatever's currently on AWS eventually over to GCP. But that's very very long term. And in terms of you know getting new features, what you know whatever's on your wish list for Salesforce, I, I don't think having I mean, Google might be able to inject some some cash to speed things up. Because I think, you know, that's what Salesforce is still, you know, again, they, they kind of struggle to be profitable. So they, 
it's not like they have extra money laying around to boost engineering, to, to add namespaces to Apex and to do the things we want, to make deployments better and to make the metadata API not be bad and all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still people are still fighting for dollars at Salesforce to, to be able to have the teams and the people to, to implement these things. So maybe Google can inject some some more money into that so that they could get they could just accelerate some of those that feature schedule. Yeah. But I don't think it would be like I don't think you'd notice like all of a sudden a massive difference. What do you think? I don't think any of it's going to really happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are, I mean, anytime the stock tends to soften a bit, we get this influx of buyout rumors. But it hasn't softened. It's, it's up, man. It's up <clears throat> big time. No, well, you didn't let me finish. Okay. <laughs> and the way they, they kind of boost that softening is they start talking about buyout rumors and it kind of excites the conversation yes. around it. Stock goes back up and then... And then just in time for the next report where Salesforce goes, yep, we, we beat it again, and everything gets kind of reset. So it just seems like every time it softens a bit, we get these kind of influx of buyout rumors. And it just seems like it's, a, it's the analyst's way of kind of keeping the stock going or at least keeping conversations about it going. Maybe it's Salesforce's way to drop rumors in to keep its share price pumped up. Yeah. <laughs> that's that me, kind of stuff never happens. That's me so. in my tin hat, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know. but. No, I think, I think it's gotten too big at this point to be really attractive to anybody. Um, so, I mean, it, if it did happen, I'd, I'd be really curious and want to follow it very closely because I just I just think they've gotten to a point where they're a certain size that, unless unless their stock tanked, like, immensely, mm-hmm. there'd be no reason for anyone to buy it. I mean, Oracle's got their cloud stuff going. They've already got overlap there. Microsoft's sure already is got that, overlap is that a, there. Is that a real cloud? It's as real as you're going to get. And Salesforce doesn't really have a cloud. There, I mean, there are all kinds of clouds. It doesn't have to be all single. <laughs> yes, you're right. There's uh, Cumulonimbus. There's Cirrus. Yeah. Right? How know? many clouds can you name, John? <laughs> I think that's about it. Those yeah. two. Stratus. Stratus. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I can recognize when you mention one. <laughs> yeah. And if it sounds similar enough to one that sounds real, then I'll, I'll also agree with it. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, I want to plug something, uh, which I just saw in our Slack uh, earlier this week, maybe it was last week. I thought you were going to plug a product. <laughs> no, it's just the uh, someone dropped it in, but just wanted to mention it. Hopefully, it's not too late. What is the? Oh no, it's not too late. Okay. So here's the pitch: Have you built something in Salesforce that is rad? Rad. Yeah, and it's that's in all caps too. So I'm not sure if that stands for Rapid Application Development. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I, was a rad I, I think developer. I have. I think I have a rad book actually. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It might, it might, that, that acronym might have been on a resume of mine somewhere. I bet it, I bet it was. I'm a rad <laughs> developer. I'm a rad VB developer. Well, it got replaced <laughs> by full stack. Agile. Full stack agile. Yeah. Small batch. Artisanal. <laughs> okay. Open stack. Continuing the pitch. Do you have awesome content that you would like to share? Philly Force dash Mid-Atlantic Dreamin would love for you to submit your, your I guess, talk this year. Um, for May 6th, I guess the conference is May 6th. Call for speakers is open until February 24th. And you can submit your talk at midatlanticdreamin.com. You okay? Nice. Yeah, I was trying to see what 17 was. Okay. So I guess, did Philly Force merge with Mid-Atlantic Dreamin, or is that is that who's sponsoring it? Or oh, who, who runs it? Yeah, I don't either. Anyway. What I do know is my uh, conference budget is non-existent this year. Is it? Yeah. It was last year, too. I know. I'm poor. I'm very poor. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
Oh, that's good. It's got a lot of maple in that. Is it? I'm, I'm done with the maple thing with beer. It's all fake. It's fake. It's fenugreek, which is like an herb. It's not real maple. Okay, you're right. It's it's um it's more equivalent to uh, Mrs. Butterworth. Yeah. Than it is maple. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's not delicious and just sort of like a six year old kid kind of way. Yeah. But I don't know. I like beer flavored beer. So so and I know I'm gonna get reamed for getting off topic. But when I make pancakes for the kids. I take like an hour to make pancakes. Uh, excuse me, John. Is this about Salesforce? N- no. No. Oh well, we better we better make it quick then. No, I'm not gonna make it. Quick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, <clears throat> so when I make pancakes, it takes me like an hour to make pancakes, and that's an hour of me standing and making pancakes. It's not like I make a lot of them. It's just I I make them and I shape them and I cut yeah. them and I. You got, also, you got you got to stir the the batter, whip the batter. You got to do that a certain way too. Um, <laughs> uh, but it takes so long doing it. By the time I'm done, I just want to sit. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. Mm, I want to sit. Yeah. So what ends up happening it's is... It's like the, when you barbecue, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, long barbecue, like four plus four yeah. to 24 hours barbecue. Yeah. Last thing I want to do is eat something that smells like smoke after that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so inevitably, what ends up happening is I'm not hungry. I'm sitting there, and, what, and I'm, the having the one, I'm the one that has to clean up after the kids. And so inevitably, there's, like, a few pieces left, and that's when I sample their their pancakes and one time i did manage to sit down and eat pancakes they were fresh i was like i didn't like them i like them when they've been sitting there cold drenched in syrup i guess because i've been doing that for so long just cleaning up after my kids and just eating whatever they had left that i prefer that taste and that's what this beer tastes like to me okay is that is the cold pancake with the butterworth syrup on it that's what it tastes like i'm glad you told that story john that's that i find that interesting i really do i like food talk though Speaking as that a, should be our next podcast a, is food talk. A fat guy. I like food talk. <laughs> okay, let's not talk about fat. <laughs> okay, let's not. Uh, so, what have you, have you done? Any uh, interesting work lately? I'm still uh, working on my whole package because I had to recreate that extension package. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I didn't create the extension package. Okay, I found a workaround because I didn't want to have to do it. My problem was, I would I would have had to have put out a release that was never going to get touched by customers, so that I could create a package that had all my Mm. dependencies so that I could then create the extension package that could use those dependencies. Yep. And um, thanks to the world of, of source uh, SFDX and source source control first and <laughs> source driven development. Source-driven. SDD. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, and uh, scratch orgs, I was like, screw it. I don't have to do that. I'll just branch, I'll create a fork in my code or in the source. That's my new LMS branch. And I'll create a Scratchwork specifically for it, and then I created new folders, so that way I can easily pull them out. So now I have two new folders, one being the LMS branch folder that has just specifically for that feature, and then my folder for the, what's going to end up being the extension package. And so it's all in the single namespace, and I'm coding as if they're in different namespaces, um, with some exceptions. But now I just have a single package. I'm not having to create a new version just to do this extension package. I'm doing it all in one. And then when it's finally ready and tested, because I can create a new scratch org, hand it to my QA team, which is one guy, <laughs> have them test it and validate it. Then I can go ahead and go through the trouble of creating the, the true release and the true extension package. And then we'll do one more round of testing. But uh, when, when, I, when I thought of that idea and went down that road, I was, like, I was so much happier because I just did not like the idea of having to create all these hard dependencies, create all these global classes that I may change through the course of development, which I am. Like, I, I, had, it, I had methods defined that I didn't really need at that level. They needed to be in the extension package level. 
So being able to develop and try this all out and build it without having to lock myself into that that contract was was big for me. Yeah, because I mean, once you release that, that's that's an API that you can't. And that was my anxiety. That was why I was just struggling yeah. so hard with: Do I really have to put my create this and hope I got it right? Do a release that I can now create this extension package and have the dependencies I need. So you, the, your problem was you needed your app to be able to have visibility and use the API of another app, right? Another package? Well, it, it's an integration with another third-party tool that has an API. Agreed. Agreed. But was what I said true, though? You need, like, you need to be able to access that other package's right, so I have publicly a, exposed classes and things? Right. So I okay. basically have an interface that's defined in my core package, and that interface gets implemented by the extension package so that all the methods are implemented correctly. And then I'll, of course, grab the instance dynamically and, and use it. That way it's calling all the API methods. You're looking at me crazy. Am I saying this right? No, you're, I'm just, it's hard for, it's very hard for me to follow what you're saying. I know. Essentially, lots have, of words So I have an interface there. that defines a contract of API methods that have to be supported by this or any other extension package that is part of our LMS. So it could be LMS vendor on a learner pond's API as a as an LMS vendor. It could be talent LMS as an LMS vendor cornerstone. Yeah. You know, the idea is that I should be able to connect to any of those or at least create a connector for oh, any okay. of those. And so you, would, you, would package, imp- you would implement like a package that implemented right. those? So the extension package ends up being that connector. And so that's why this interface in the core has to exist. Yep. The yep. problem okay. is my anxiety was that I would have to create that interface and assume that I know everything that Again, I need this, to know. This is the, for people who want to know what like patterns, this is the service provider pattern, really. Right. Yeah. So in your kind of main package, you define what the service provider interface is. Right. And then any actual service provider has to implement that. Right. And then and, there's, there's, a, there's a litany of data structures that have to go along with it as well, which further added to my, my anxiety, too, because I'm like, I'm building it for this one today. I don't know if it's all going to play out. I need to be able to build it and work it out and just do it. So that was, that, was a, that was a lot of my anxiety was that I was going to have to create a release and define the contract ahead of time without really understanding what I need to build. Okay. So. Yep. And it's also, you know, I've heard people talk, especially people who have built lots of massively public, publicly used APIs, talk about things like you can never really be sure of an API or like an interface, I guess, until you have at least three concrete implementations of it that have seen lots of use. Then, then, you really fig- then you really find out what you need that interface to be. Yeah. <laughs> so that is very nerve-wracking. Yeah, for you to basically just have to like, I mean, you're like, I, I think this is what the interface should be, mm-hmm. but I really am not going to know for sure until I actually implement this two or three times. And for certain, I will learn things that will change what I want that interface to be. But by then... Yeah, it's too late. I mean, in your case, it's and I've kind of hit that. So when I first just when I first implemented that interface, I knew I wanted it to be as minimal as possible and only support a very minimal amount of methods um, or feature sets. Today, I realized, or today, or this week, I started toying around with the idea of how am I going to administer the connector or provide an, an, an administrator and an provide an interface for the admin, basically. Okay. So you, you plug in the connector, but that connector to this LMS is, gonna, is likely going to have its own UI because it's going to support different things or have certain access to certain features that I'm not going to know it ahead of time. 
So at that point, I was like, okay, well, now I need to create this kind of plug-in type architecture where I can create a web component that represents that interface. And then whenever that package gets installed, it, it lets the core package know what that interface is and how to go get it and display it. <clears throat> well, then I realized, okay, if that's going to happen, then I don't need to have these methods, these certain methods, this group of methods in my service layer or my service interface um, because that's all going to be handled by this component, all internal to that namespace. So I don't need these to be part of that. So even today, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go and pull out a bunch of methods that don't need to be there anymore in that interface. Now, had I, had I gone, gone ahead and created that, that package with this interface in it, I'd be screwed. I mean, I wouldn't be screwed. There'd just be a bunch of methods in there that don't do anything or have been yeah. deprecated, mm -hmm. which is ugly to me. Yep. And yep. they have to sit there and exist. I don't like this whole deprecation thing. I mean, I understand you've created a contract but this is why I'm, I'm really in love with uh, uh, second-generation packaging, because once they're in the same namespace, th this should only really be used by my packages. Now, I guess technically I could make the argument that maybe my customer will want to create their own LMS interface and use my global services and everything mm -hmm. and plug it right in. I guess that is a possibility, but that's not the reality. No one's going to do that. Um, so really, I just wanted a, an, a way to intercommunicate or interop between... <laughs> my packages. Yeah. And to do that, I have to do this whole global contract that anybody can use. Um, so yeah. I wish there was a better way to isolate that. And I guess the better way is second can generation not, packages. Can you not do second generation packages? No, because there's no migration path. Oh my gosh. And there won't be for some years, from my understanding. Huh. Meaning that your code can't migrate to a new package type? No, or, you can or always just take your source. Can't. You can always take your source and move it. It's just I would have to move it to a new namespace and register to, uh, register oh. that as a second generation package okay. namespace. Mm -hmm. And there's no migration path from a generation one to a generation two uh, namespace. No, I can't take my current namespace and move it to second. Well, generation. that is what we call a big effing problem. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, it, at the point I heard that, I was like, "Well, crap! I'm I, I'm just gonna ignore second generation because the more I learn about it, the more I hear about it." I'm going to want to use it, but I can't. Yep. But can't I mean, use this. It's not, it's not, it's not the end-all, be-all. Can't do this with Salesforce, John. It's not the end-all, be-all. I mean, there's, there's obviously <laughs> gaps and issues with it today that people are discovering. So it's not like it's the perfect thing no, and I'm missing out. But there are, there are things that are good about it that I do want to take, take yeah. advantage of. So, um, so uh, we had a, a bit of an anonymous submission here, which is someone discovered... That uh, I guess in when you retrieve the symbol table, that there's a class that's in the system namespace called legal org ops, and there's one method on it called get token for subpoena request, and the parameters are org ID, username, and case number. And what is this for? You tell me what it's for. Again, I'll say this is a this is a class that's buried in the system. But if you do a you know if you retrieve the symbol table, it's in there. The class is called Legal Org Ops. The method is called Get Token for Subpoena Request. Well, you throw in subpoena, and you think it's a backdoor to get data uh, by court order. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it gets you some kind of token. Yeah to fulfill a subpoena request, apparently. If I'm understanding English words correctly. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? I think I'm numb to it. I mean, 
it, we live on these platforms. We think we have some sense of control, but we don't. And they, even if we did at some point, did our diligence and read the terms of service, they change it. And at that right. point, you've gotten numb to terms of Yeah, because of service. you signed something that says they can change their terms of service at any time. Right. right? And they do. <laughs> they do, yeah. And you happily just click, okay, they, yeah. they updated, all right, right, well, like, I'm stuck using this phone or I'm stuck using this platform, okay, what am I going to do? Um, yeah. They kind of have us by the balls when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> they really do. I mean, they, they're, they've, they have the manpower on retainer to mitigate their risk on, on just about anything in those terms of service. Oh, yeah. They're smart about that. Yeah. I don't blame them, you know, from a company standpoint. But at the same time, from a privacy and consumer standpoint, it, it kind of sucks because we don't have that same power. Well, I guess we do, but we'd have to spend a ton of money for every app service we want to sign up for and get our lawyer to review it. Yeah. And chances are the lawyer will say, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> And it's not like we can we can change it either. We can't. We either either accept it or you don't. You can't have your lawyer review it and then send and then contact their lawyer and say, okay, we want to make changes to the terms of service here, here, and here for our particular particular contract. It just right. doesn't it doesn't exist. Yep. So we're just screwed either way. We just either become a hermit with a cabin in the woods or go with the flow, I guess. Yep. Well. Um I didn't, I didn't originally want to do these in this order, but since we're talking about legal stuff, did you see that Salesforce is being sued? Um, one, of the, one of the first lawsuits to cite some new California privacy law? No. I'm not surprised, but no. Yeah, California's so kind of crazy with their laws. Salesforce and a children's, com- uh, children's clothing company face data breach allegations in a federal court lawsuit. That is among the first to cite California's landmark privacy laws that took effect January 1st. And the allegation is that Salesforce and Hannah Anderson, which is, I guess, I don't know if that is a clothing company, hmm. failed to protect user data um, and a bunch of other stuff. Let's see. Are they saying that child's data is, has been breached? Or just data? No, no, no. Just data. And they're seeking damages and relief. Um, let's see. Hackers had scraped company, sorry, customer names, payment card numbers, and other personal information. The hacked data was found for sale on the dark web, and it was hosted by Salesforce on its e-commerce platform. What, oh. well, that's the allegation. They're also alleging that the platform was infected with malware that led to the data breach. Well, that's uh, definitely a drawback to uh, growth by acquisition. Yeah, you're just I mean, because you're, you're basically in one platform after another. Yeah, you're inheriting any kind of security risk they were they're in that platform. Yeah. As strong as Salesforce has been with their with their their own platform, um, I would say their own platform is probably as secure as it can be. I think their bigger risk now is all these uh, acquisition acquisitions that they've acquired that might not have the security features. Yeah. And again, we have to remind, this is just an allegation. This is, this is yeah. a lawsuit. Nothing's been proven in any kind of court of law yet. But, you know, that's the thing. I mean, and that's also just this idea of, like, do we, should we all keep putting our, our, our data, all of our eggs in, like, these basically three big baskets out there, <laughs> you know? Um, and actually, I have another story about that. 
But before I get to that, I want to go to the story that I wanted to talk about before this one. And this one comes to you from the the big big tech companies are spying on you department. Uh, Salesforce has acquired, even though they said they were going to chill out on the acquisitions. Although it was a small, I think this was small. I yeah, yeah, it seemed really small. But anyway, they just talking about the big multi-billion-dollar acquisition. Talking about Evergauge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they have purchased, acquired Evergauge, a personalization and customer data platform (CDP). Oh, they hide behind so many buzzwords on I that know. site. Yep. I went to their website because I was like, "Who the hell are these people?" Well. This will help companies that deliver, or this will help companies to deliver relevant. Now, I want you to decode this for me, John. Mm -hmm. This is a test for John. This will help companies deliver relevant data-driven experiences across channels, including web, email, mobile, ad tech, social, call center, and more. It means they're tracking you. Yes. That means they are showing you stuff to buy mm -hmm. based on every bit of information they can, they've been able to track for you across your entire life's journey. Yep. It's the journey, John. Journey builder. Let's see. Evergage's cross-channel personalization and machine learning capabilities complement the Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Positioning joint customers. Joint customers? Are they buying marijuana? What is that? It's a joint customer. <laughs> <laughs> to deliver relevant customer experiences across the buyer's journey. It's the, uh, so it's the same story when you have these ad networks that they all share the cookie. And the, the script. Share the cookie. They all share the cookie. <laughs> and uh, so then in aggregate, you gain access to a lot more data. Yeah, so super so I have my site. And, and yeah, the tracking I, I put the tracker on for my customers. Mm -hmm. And then you have your site and you put the tracker on for your customers. And guess what? We get to share that data, you and I. And there's also that like browser fingerprinting they do or mm -hmm. whatever. They can identify you. They don't even need a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> and things like SSL, TLS don't happen with, uh, help with that at all. But anyway, so that, that was from the big tech companies are spying in the department, and the whole Salesforce being sued for breaching data is from the they're going to get your data one way or another department. How do you like that? You like how I'm categorizing these by department they're coming from? They just need it for Einstein. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So while we're talking about these breaches, let's go to another breach. A severe perfect 10.0 Microsoft flock confirmed. Quote, this is a cloud security nightmare. So this scored on the, oh, the CVE score, basically on the severity, 10.0. You don't see those very often, as you can get. This is a cloud security nightmare, according to a checkpoint person. It's their big security firm. You can't prevent it, you can't protect yourself. The only one who can is the cloud provider, which in this case was Azure. The vulnerability is as punchy as it gets, a perfect 10.0. It's huge. It can even start... I can't even start to describe how big it is. The reason for the hyperbole is that this guy, Balmas, B-A-L-M-A-S, says his team found the first remote code execution exploit on a major cloud platform. One user could break the cloud isolation, separating themselves and others, interrupting code and manipulating programs. That isolation is the basis of cloud security, enabling the safe sharing of common hardware. So what that means is an attacker who successfully exploits this vulnerability can allow an unprivileged function run by the user to execute code, thereby escaping the sandbox. Uh, quote, we can break the isolation of Azure functions, Azure's functions. Now I can see everybody else's functions. Anyone using Azure will be impacted. That means millions of users. So yeah, they can basically, they can break out onto the, onto the 
into the common layer, like mm-hmm. the like the control plane layer that you're not supposed to be able to get into. Wow. <laughs> um, it was discovered by some research firm. Uh, it was last year, and I think Microsoft patched it uh, pretty much immediately. But and they, I think they think that it was never exploited. But that is scary. And, and this, this goes back to, do we, do we all really put all, all of our eggs into these, you know, three or four or five tech companies' baskets? It's, you know, it's like, do you like being in a, a giant stadium full of 100,000 people? Makes me a little nervous. It's a big target. You know, do you, yeah, you going to put all your data in one of the biggest targets in the, in the world? You know, targeted by hackers, terrorists, you know, whatever. Rush, you know, the Russian dark web thing, whatever. Well, people have been using Windows nothing for to, years. Nothing against Russians, but uh, that's true. I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> I don't know. They will attack the most popular platform there is. Yeah. Windows was it. I mean, App, I mean Mac can, or Apple can claim, oh, we don't have the virus problems that Microsoft has. And in other words, you didn't have the market share. Right. It wasn't worth their time to exploit all your vulnerabilities like they did with Windows. I mean, the thing's running... Windows servers and Windows desktops, and they just—they're just—it's a numbers game. Yep. Um, I don't know. Is it better to have one big company with a lot of resources who, when those exploits are found, can patch it instantly, or do you trust a lot of smaller companies that may be hiring the best guy that they yeah, can? Who? That's a good point. Is you know might not know as much or right. or have the resources to do everything. I mean, when you decide to put your data in Azure or AWS or Salesforce, um, you know you are accessing security talent and capabilities that are far beyond your own means. Right. So in that way, it's much more secure. Like, do, you know, should you have your own little IT department scramble together some kind of storage system, or should you just put it on S3? Or you know, in that, I think time has proven that you know. This type of talent, this type of experience is hard to find. And if they do have that experience and talent, it's going to take top dollars to attract them. And the big companies have the money to attract them, which kind of makes them, kind of gives them the monopoly on, on the market of that kind of talent, which makes it kind of scary that, you know, my local grocery store who knows every, everything I buy and what credit cards I use is going to be securing that themselves with some guy who just got out of college and has an IT degree. I don't, you know. Yep. I don't know what I feel more safer with, but I think it's the big guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. I mean, if I, if I had to bet, I would bet on one of the big cloud providers. I, I do not want to... they have more money, so if you win the clash accident lawsuit, you can get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I could destroy your business, though, before you even get to that point. Well, that's what you're suing for. Yeah. Good point. Uh, I read that Salesforce is retiring their data recovery service, but I don't know anything about it. Do you? I don't know what that is. I don't either. I mean, should we should we Google? They've the never show? had a data recovery Salesforce service other than their own internal backup service. system, right? I've helped clients get stuff that was supposedly on tape restored. Do people still use tape? You, I, I don't know. Clients I restore think, things from tape. No, 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 their own tape. No, no, Salesforce's tape. Oh, yeah. And it, it might be one of those <laughs> things that you know we we you know we say record video or, or put it on tape. You know, it's. It's just one of those things that stuck with us. Here I am at HT View Solution Visual Force page, John. Uh, oh, they've changed it. They redirected me to Article View Visual Force page. <laughs> uh, it's because uh, Spring 20 <laughs> broke the, the previous help system. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, the data. Okay. Oh, effective July 31st, 2020, data recovery as a paid feature will be deprecated, no longer available. 
What is data recovery? Data recovery process is the last resort where Salesforce support can recover your data at a specific point in time in case it has been permanently deleted or mangled during a data import. And I, this is, I'm pretty sure I've used this before. Uh, the price of the service is a flat $10,000, and they'll recover your an org. Hmm. Uh, it's only an option after you've exhausted all other reasonable efforts. Is it preventable? Blah, blah, blah. How do I get this? What is a CSV file? <laughs> Does it include <laughs> metadata? No, it doesn't include metadata. It holds your data only. Wow. It can be recovered back, uh, see, anywhere three months from the current date. Interesting. But it's going away. That's interesting. That's a useful service. <laughs> like I said, I've, I've helped clients use that before. I wonder why. Is it a security thing? That's going away? Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't heard much about it other than just I, I saw it kind of I mean, in the passing comment. That they can go to a tape and strategically pull out one customer's data. Which means that some IT guys got access to pretty much everyone's yeah. data, right? <laughs> but that's going to happen anyways. I mean, it's it, basically at some one, point. At some point, I mean, Salesforce the, is one big table with an org ID yes. that gets put onto a tape, yeah. and so everyone's data is there. And also, at some point, the cloud is just your crap running on someone else's computer, right? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research on multi-tenant, and I'm not so sure. I I like the everyone in a single table with with org ID from a simplicity perspective. Um, so you have that scheme, and you have that, and then you have schema, which is kind of is that different tables, same database, different tables for each customer, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you have different databases for each customer in multi-tenant. Yeah. I don't know which is the better. Well, I mean, I think one thing that I've heard argued is that multi-tenant is a benefit to the landlord, not to the tenant. It's a, it's a way for the landlord to optimize their operations and be more you know, profitable, efficient. It's not a benefit to the tenant. I don't care whether my MNS, I mean, I'd prefer a machine in my own database if I have a choice. Yeah. It's better isolation. Most, most would. Right. But yeah, And it's interesting right. how it's some of these big modern SaaS companies have chosen that, what do they call it? Multi-instance. Multi-instance. Yeah. Who was the, we've talked about this before. Is it, it's not ServiceNow. Um, it's- uh, Is it Pega? It's either Pega or... Well, we know NetSuite is multi-instance. I don't know what they are now. Well, I, don't, I don't. They were more VM instance. I don't know what you call that. Yeah, I think they I were multi I think they were The application and the database right. was cloned over into yeah. a VM. Mm -hmm. which I don't know what you... Something. I don't even know if it was VMs. I mean, I don't know what it was. It was a VM. Back in the days? They, they would spin up a virtual machine. Back in the day. I'm not sure what it's like today. Okay. This was like, what, five, six, maybe even ten years ago when we were doing this. Dude. Yeah, you need to do some math. It was yeah. like more than ten years ago. Yeah, so it's probably changed a lot. But yeah, it was. It was. They would, they would spin up a new VM for each client. What was the point we we're trying to make? Oh, which is better? Yeah. I. I you know, is the, you think the pendulum's going to swing away from multi-tenant and get back to single instance, even in just hosted single instance? I think instance? so. I think so. But well, because the technology is swinging back to single instance, especially with things like. You think orchestration um, I mean, of, of updates between servers is going to be easier? Because right now the big advantage is you have one application instance, you update that application instance, and that's it. Everyone's using that same instance. Yeah. Uh, well, aside from clustering and potting and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, but you have this one application instance, and that might, and then you might you have the same problem with databases. Well, you have one database updates going to one database, so now you've got this kind of one to one. Yeah. But if you split that up, now you have the one application, then you got multiple databases, you have to update, and then the flip side is you have multiple. Application instances to update and multiple databases to update. I think we already went through the 
pendulum swing back to, uh, um, I mean, not completely. These are just shades of gray, right? But back to a little bit more multi-instance. That happened, well, that then, happened yeah. like five, ten years ago. Yeah, I guess that's what microservices was. I think the, the, the craze around microservices might help the technology in managing multi-instances because you essentially have your application split up into a bunch of little parts mm-hmm. that all need to be updated and synchronized and orchestrated. Yeah. So whatever technology is managing that could help you manage all your applications as well. Right. So nowadays it's, you know, Mesos, Kubernetes, those yeah. types of things, you know, uh, Docker, uh, Compose. I'm really intrigued by Kubernetes. I might need to take a seminar on Kubernetes. It's, I've, I've, I know enough to be dangerous. I mean, I can spin up a, 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 a cluster, but it's really complex. In fact, so much so that, I mean, I'm glad I learned some of the primitives involved, but if I'm going to do um, Kubernetes, I'm going to use one of the services out there, uh, GKS, or like, I, like I've been using Amazon's Fargate, which is, they just kind of manage it all for you. You don't, I mean, you kind of define the parameters. You'd have to define like what your services are and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, they 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 run it all though. <clears throat> so, but yeah, it's I mean it's 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 a nice way to if you do have a like say your your whatever service you provide you know requires you know tip, like historically maybe you had to like you know to have your database run and then you had to spin up some this service and that service and whatever, and these things all have to kind of be able to talk to each other and they have to be able to find each other and coordinate. And you were doing like manual DNS entries or whatever, so things could, or plugging in into the properties files, like IP addresses of the, of the database server, of this server, <laughs> that, you know, that can all go away. And yeah. it's just all automated now. Yeah, that scares me. Yeah, it is scary. Oh. It's tough. It feels like, like these days with, well, I, I shouldn't generalize like that. I, I'm, so, I'm so into the Salesforce world where so many things are handled for me. That when it comes to building applications, you speak up some. Is this? You just you're, well, you're talking quietly. It's because it got quiet. In I here. know it is, but I'm. Do you still need to talk more though? <laughs> I've got our gain set that we need to be talking fairly loud. You fix it in post, man. <laughs> I don't want to do any post. It's a little it's possible. So lazy. I still well, have to do true, manual true. show notes and everything. And well, I have to do like, no. I have to do manual a button stuff. And, I, no, and our, our no. shows release. I do not have a button like that. Anyways, what was I trying to say? I don't remember. I don't know. That's great. Uh, Kubernetes and just running crap. Yeah, so <laughs> that you know what? And and I give Kubernetes permission if they want to. If Google wants to use that, I guess they don't. Own, they're not. They're now owned by the uh, CNCF, but they can. They I give them permission to use that trademark. Running crap. TM. Running your crap. TM. That that's what they should. That's what the tagline should be. Kubernetes running your crap. <laughs> I just want to know how we got from. Docker, the lightweight container to Kubernetes. I mean, I want to know how Docker just rolled over. I know, and and I like, mean, it was everywhere. I mean, you could throw a rock and hit a hit a light Docker, well, the lightweight container. Yeah, well, because Docker had their own like Docker Swarm, right? They had their own. And I'm sorry, Ku- Kubernetes logo service. sucks compared to the Docker logo. I mean, the whale with the containers. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I guess. And then we got this. What is it, like a shitty star? I don't even know. Let's cross see. thing. It's like some weird shape thingy. Now you're gonna make me look up. I mean, it's like a, oh, that does suck. It's a, it's a, what do you call that? Yeah, it's, it's like a, a the, boat the, thingy. The old ship steering yeah. wheel. I'm sure there's a word for that that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is the name of the boat steering know. wheel? I have no. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm 
the turny thingy. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, I am getting parched. Any, any other uh, topics that are just burning a hole in your pants? There were, but now I forgot them because it made me laugh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what about the whole thing where employees were encouraged to buy Benioff's book? Mm. The, the, the 40,000 Salesforce employees were of strongly encouraged to of buy Benioff's book. No, they weren't strongly encouraged. They were saying that if, if you bought it, you can expense it. You know, you, you have to read between the lines. So, you want to tell me that the people at here, the here's a quote. And if some and if employees don't buy an expense, Benioff's new book, it'll factor into promotions and layoffs for employees. What? This is what Twitter's telling me, John. Kind of like when Elon Musk wanted employees to beta autopilot after they bought their Model 3S. Yeah, Salesforce sent a memo to its 48,000 48, workforce offering reimbursement. I read that part, but I didn't read that it was going to be con- so, no, there were strings but attached. Benioff, no, Benioff needed you know tens of thousands of people to go out and buy the book individually. It doesn't count because the way like New York Times bestseller works, they look they look for large purchases and they don't they won't count those. Right. So like the mass buyout for the Dreamforce attendees didn't, didn't count. <laughs> well, maybe the they Dreamforce, maybe they paid their employees just to like scour. <laughs> did the Dreamforce? Oh, yeah. get the new- I've had three copies of that book shipped to my house from place from unknown source. I don't know where they came from. Well, MVP's got one. So that's one. So we got them. What are the other two I have we, for? We got a we got a pre-release copy, did we? Yeah, we're special. We can, well, none of them are signed. I'm really disappointed. I, I thought one of them would show up with Sante. Dear Jeremy, hey, really appreciate the show. Would love to meet you guys sometime, and would even like to be on the show sometime. Dear, ben. or, or you know, love Daddy Benioff. Love Daddy Bear. Yeah, <laughs> Daddy Big Bear. But I know none of them are signed. I, I think you know. I, I bet he's. Uh, Do you have any signed books? By him. No, by anybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I have one signed book. Okay. What is it? I don't remember. I don't remember which one I've signed either. Obviously, I don't oh, no, I have two because I got one signed by the, the uh, master brewer at, uh, what's his name? It was at Common Table. Oh. The um, only Common Table event Which that one I did you go to? to? Which brewery was it? Like the Tomahawk Steak one. Um, oh, that was Brooklyn Brewery. Yes. And that's Garrett Oliver. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I have that one too. That was a good dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't think they I do those go anymore. for a steak. Let's go yeah. get a steak. My wife would kill me. I haven't eaten lunch. I haven't eaten anything. <clears throat> Actually, I had a couple of pieces of beef jerky that Steve made. Steve's into making beef jerky? Yeah. 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 He, uh, he just goes from one thing to another. <laughs> He'll do beef jerky for a couple months and it'll be on to something else. I'm going to try the beef jerky. That's good. I don't have any with me. Damn it. Anyway. All right. Well, let's wrap up since we're just talking about random crap now. Let's. Uh, we are almost at the 1,000 member mark on our Slack, John. I think the Slack is more popular than the show. Probably is. And it's it's kind of self-sustaining. I mean, I've, I feel bad. I've been so busy with work. I haven't really had much of a chance to participate, but uh, it's quite active. I've been trying to make an effort. I do need to add some text to our sign-up form that says... I do have to add these manually, so be patient with me, because sometimes I see people like register like two or three times. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I feel like you get on those fast. I do, but sometimes I'm sleeping. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. they're doing it like yeah. 2 or 3 a.m. time zones and yep. all that kind of stuff. So anyway, if anyone who's listening that is, has not joined the site yet, please do so. GoodDaySirPodcast.com, and you click on Community and mm-hmm. fill out the form. It's just mm-hmm. one field. And I do have to do it manually, so yeah. please be patient. But yeah. We'll get you in there. 
Um, we had one batch of stickers go out. There's, I'm prepping another batch. Um, so if you would like stickers. That's what I wanted to ask. You, you're on top of all the sticker things, right? Yeah. You yeah. see the emails and everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And I've got to print up another. Because what I do is I kind of batch them and print. I'm using that Dymo to print out um, yeah. labels. But, I want uh, feedback on the stickers. I want to know if the, if the three inches is too big or if we need to lose an inch. Because I think the three inches are too big. The three inches are as big as the coasters I bought. Yeah, I think they're perfect. And if you want to spend an extra two thousand dollars to get a smaller sticker, you can. <laughs> That's all on you, John. I'm gonna buy coasters. Uh, that'd be nice. Those are really expensive, though. I mean, you, they're you, about a dollar a coaster, which is well, which is insane. Well, because I only bought like 50. the coasters you see up here no, cost bought, about two cents each. Yeah. That's because they, they're buying you know fifty thousand at a time. Yeah, well, I can hundred thousand at a time. Should I order fifty thousand? <laughs> uh, I, I, if you're planning on growing this podcast and. I don't know. People would actually want to use them. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you would like stickers mailed to you, uh, just shoot us an email, info at gooddaysterpodcast.com, and just put stickers in the subject, and you have to provide an address, and just how many stickers you want. I think by default, probably throw a couple in there, but if you've got a group that you're running or whatever, you know, sometimes we've, we've done that for some groups. Send, yeah, cool. send a batch. I like those. Yep. Um, you can also send us uh, questions to talk about on the show or feedback at the same email address, info at. What else, John? Johnny Boy? You've opened up stickers to international, haven't you? I have because, yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're, we're not discouraging international. No, anymore. we're not. No. It just might take a while to get to you, but. It pro- yeah, it probably will. Because we're slow boating them. But yeah, exactly. Definitely. They've got to be on a slow boat because I'm using the postal service. Right. So <laughs> the United States government postal service. Yeah. <laughs> Ferris, like us. Uh, reviews are nice. We haven't had a review in a while. We yeah. would love a review. Maybe a positive one this time. We had a negative one last time. We'd like a positive yeah, one. Yeah, I don't want to end on a bad note. Because yeah. this is our last year for the podcast, by the way. It could be our last episode I'm of the kidding. podcast. This is, I'm just trying to trigger everyone to <laughs> listen and share and do yeah. all that kind of stuff. We've got to keep those guys going. Let's go get some more yeah. listeners for them. Awesome. We've got to grow this army. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, John. Sorry. I'm sorry well, about my energy today. Um, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll try to we'll try to um, get back to weekly if we can. I'm I'm moving over this weekend, and I've lived in my current house for 13 years, so it's going to be quite a process. Yeah. So we'll see. At best, Jeremy's got to move from his mini mansion to his giant mansion. He's yep. like his big boy mansion. I'm actually going to a house with like three or four fewer rooms. So. Well, yeah, but it's got more room for entertaining. That's arguable. We're going from two living up. rooms to one living room, John. I'm, I'm only going to have one up. living room. I'm making stuff up. This is my, this is my new first I'm world to, problem. I'm trying to build you up here, make you out to be the, the big daddy of the oh, podcast. And, uh, you should see this mansion, dude. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Pool, did you ever watch landing Did pad. you ever watch Richie Rich? It looks just like that. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> right next to uh, Jerry Jones's house? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty close. Of course, there's a few miles in between. Right. You guys have all this land. Yep. No, I've never seen Jerry Johnson. I've seen Tony Romo's house. It's ridiculous. And it's in a... Only reason I was able to see it is because a buddy of mine, his mom was dating a super rich guy who had a house in the neighborhood because you have to be on the list to get in and they check everything and and there's like... Turn your head and cough. There's like 25 houses in this neighborhood and it's incredibly exclusive. But, uh, anyway. Let me into that. I say good day, sir. Because I'm poor. <laughs> you get... Nothing! You lose! Good day, sir!